Good afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 69 <laughs> <laughs> of the Fade to Black podcast. Sorry, I can't not acknowledge it. Like, <laughs> I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm a mom woman, and hold on, where's Hannah? Hello, it's your friendly neighbourhood, Spider Han. Unfortunately, I am not here uh, in person, or, or well, I'm pre-recording this. Um, these potentially could be my last ever words. Fingers crossed I don't die. Um, enjoy the show without me. Um, I'm afraid I've been off gallivanting around places and just have not had a chance to watch any movies for this week. Um, or fit in time to record. Um, but I'm leaving you in the very capable hands of Clarice and Mon. And you know what that means? They will get far more words in. Pause for laughter. Suitably paused. Um, yeah, so uh, I will be back next week. And for the next few weeks, I'm probably going to be banging on about my book. I announced it last week. It's called Strong Female Character. Um, it's about my life. It's about the movies that I watched um throughout my life and how they impacted me how they impacted the world uh, and you can pre-order it now on amazon but it's out on september 29th uh so that's exciting that's what i've been up to um but you know enough about me let's leave it to some world-renowned critics to do some world-renowned film reviews uh clarice massive hug amon massive hug miss you guys i'll see you next week Bye. We already miss you, Hannah. I can't believe you're not on episode 69 <laughs> of all the episodes me. to miss. It just hit me. It's tragic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, Aman and I, we will be discussing some films. We will be discussing Facebook's favorite meme fodder, the Minions, because they're back in the Minions the rise of Gru. Justin Kurzel delivers an uncompromising vision of a true Australian tragedy in Nitram. And we ask the question, does Ed Perkins's documentary The Princess have anything new to say about Diana? And in our hot take, we venture into the upside down for our full spoilerific take on Stranger Things season four. I have a lot of things to say. <laughs> uh, Many things to gosh, say. But... I, can't, I can't wait to pull back the curtain on that because Clarice <laughs> is like in the build up to this. You know, I just I need to prepare myself because if the person <laughs> I love dies and I won't be able to function, I'm like, okay, Clarice, here we go. But uh, but yeah, I, I too have thoughts on Stranger Things, some of which you might not like to hear, but I'm very interested to get your take on. Okay. <laughs> wow. How's but that for a in the meantime, how was your week? How was your week in non-Stranger Things land? Yeah, no, it was pretty good. I actually just did the other night a Q&A with a Bollywood actress. Her name is Konkana Sen Sharma at the London Indian Film Festival. Uh, at the time this is going out, which is on Sunday, I think the final day is the day in which this podcast is going out. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting to delve into her filmography a little bit. I don't watch as much Bollywood as watch world cinema really as I should, as I should. So that was really fun to do. And she's a really, really talented actress. Uh, all the, uh, audience in, in, the, in attendance in the Q and A, a lot of them are really hardcore fans. It was really, really nice to see, uh, their questions, some of, some of the questions, because they were so hardcore fans, like, you know, I, I have a story to say before my question. I have multiple questions. All this, I have to say, like, look, I, I love all these questions, guys, but let's try and keep it short and sweet. We've got, we haven't got a lot of time. I'm trying to get to as many questions as possible. I had to say that. I've never had to say that being the Q&A, Q&A guy before, but I put my foot down, damn it, um, <laughs> because it needed to be said. But it was really, really fun. I was really uh, happy to do that and hopefully I can do more of that sort of stuff because, yeah, it was good to uh, open my world up a little bit in terms of my, my viewing habits because we're all so busy and because there's so many films and TV shows released just on our side of things each week, sometimes that's difficult to do. Uh, but, yeah, mm-hmm. thankfully I was able to make time for that because I was doing that. Yeah, I was mainly sick this week. (laughs) (laughs) I went, I did go, I went on a Netflix walking tour, which was really fun of some of the locations in central London that they used in The Crown and Bridgerton and in Nola Holmes with our favorite, Bobby Brown. I enjoyed that film. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's so it, it's free. They're doing it um throughout July. You can go Google and and book a place there. But I would recommend if you're like if you've maybe not lived in London for very long and you kind of know central London, but maybe you don't know some of the history of it and what these places were actually used for. The tour guide was actually like a histor like a I don't know if you have a story. He was a history fan. Let's say that. <laughs> So he gave us lots of good deets about like Pall Mall, that it was actually like a sports field in the 17th century. Isn't that interesting? I'm on, you look so fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging on every word, honest. Um, but it was cool. And then we went to the, the Bridgerton Tea at the Lanesborough Hotel uh, and it's great. <laughs> And I'm engaged to Duke now. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, you have some news. You have some news. Well, we have some news among us. Yes, own. we have sharing. an announcement to make because the Fade to Black podcast are doing our first live podcast at the London Podcast Festival. Big things are going. So, yes. Ayo. Our date, our time is Thursday, it's Thursday the 15th of September at 7 o'clock p.m. We will be on stage doing our thing. Uh, we are going to put the link so that you can book uh, your tickets to the event in the show notes of this podcast. And I'll also make it a, a pinned tweet so you can find it there as well. But it'll be good to see as many of you listeners down there as possible for our first ever live podcast we may be giving out some prizes we may have some guests all exciting things going down uh but yeah um i've always uh wanted to build up build this up to a stage where we're invited to do stuff like that so it's cool to see it happening it's cool i get to leave my house it's like <laughs> a, a rare sighting <laughs> indeed, indeed but you know i mean i know that you're leaving your house on tuesday night because there's a certain film by a certain director which i know that you are definitely wanting to watch yes <laughs> <laughs> there's a tease for next week's episode people excited about the movie <laughs> that's coming out next week mm-hmm. it's gonna be good <laughs> Yes, indeed. But we're, I mean, were we also excited about, look, the minions are back. (laughs) (laughs) Are you not so excited that the minions are back? Um, We'll we'll, we'll get into it. (laughs) Let's get into it. This is Minions the Rise of Gru. Minions! There are a lot of other villains in the world, but I am going to be a super villain. This world is mine for the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. This puny little child thinks he can be a villain. I am pretty despicable. Hug me. Bring it in. Woo! Would you loosen up, minions? <laughs> it's from... It's not from, I believe, Despicable Me 3. <clears throat> Everyone knows. Look, if you're on TikTok, you know that song. But I'm the only person on this podcast who's on TikTok. This so is correct. It's hard. Hard is, out here. Is Hannah on TikTok? <laughs> I think she has. She posts TikToks, but I don't think she looks at it because I'm the mm. only person who's doing TikTok references on here and I feel very <laughs> left out. <laughs> that being said, as Hannah mentioned on her fantastic video recording, she did do a really good TikTok announcement for her book. Um, yes. Which was very, very impressive. Uh, I did enjoy that. But anyway, let's talk about the minions, the rise of Gru. Uh, Long before he becomes the master of evil, Gru is just a 12-year-old boy in 1970s suburbia plotting to take over the world from his basement. It's not going particularly well. When Gru crosses paths with the minions, including Kevin, Stuart, Bob, and Otto, a new minion sporting braces and a desperate need to please, this unexpected family joins forces. Together, they build their first lair, design their first weapons, and strive to execute their first missions. This is directed by Carl Boulder, and it stars Steve Carell, Pierre Coffin, Taraji P. Hansen, Michelle Yeoh, Russell Brand, Julie Andrews, and Alan Arkin. That is a stacked cast for a Minions movie. Wow. Um, Chris, I'm going to start with you, because you're the only person here with me today. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> um, but... What is the appeal of the minions to you at this stage? Because I would not have predicted the first time I saw these creatures that they would get the amount of sequels that they have. 
Mm. It's a bit insane in that regard. But yeah, what 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 do you love about them so much, and why do you think they're so popular? I mean, I don't I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting for me. Like I I feel like the cultural. Uh, phenomenon of the Minions has actually kind of damaged the Minions brand mm. because they're so fucking everywhere and <laughs> it's like I associate them now mostly with the Facebook, the boomer Facebook memes where it's like the Minion it's like a picture of a Minion and the caption's like, I have a balanced diet, which means I have chocolate in both hands. Like the mm. most unfunny jokes you've ever heard in your entire life <laughs> next to a picture of a Minion that is entirely unconnected. And I think what was nice about this movie is that it reminded me that the Minions are actually quite funny. <laughs> and we collectively as a society have done them dirty because they are better than the Facebook memes. Because, and I would say it's just because the way that they function, it's old school slapstick, and that's always going to be funny. Like, there's a sequence in this movie where they're trying to fly a plane. (laughs) (laughs) They're trying to fly, like, a commercial jet, and it's just a three-minute, like, physical comedy, fantastic little sequence. And that watching that, I was like, Oh, that's maybe that's why they're really popular because it's really classic. It's, you know, Buster Keaton. <laughs> you know, the they. I mean, I wouldn't say they're on the same level, Thank but you. it's very much in the tradition okay. of Buster Keaton. Okay, that's really interesting. You know, this this is going to be an interesting discussion because I was thinking about this movie in preparation for this, and I was like. Why am I trying to apply so much logic to a story and a set of characters who are so illogical? And it's a tricky thing because I I get that to a certain point, they're aiming for a certain level of dumbness with these characters and with these movies. But I do feel like at times that dumbness degrades into laziness. And especially with the quality of animated movies that we have become accustomed to in certain respects... I feel like there's a version of this movie that is a little bit smarter and is aiming a little bit higher and it's still appealing to all the people it's trying to appeal to. Um, Because this movie, it was fine. I had an okay time watching it. It's not something that I all the way hated. It's not something that I hated on really any really powerful respect. But it's also a big, gigantic shrug of a movie that I'm never going to think about beyond this podcast and I'm barely going to remember within an hour of editing this thing. Um, so, yeah, I guess that that is my, my general thought on it. But I'm guessing from what you're saying, you had a much better time with it than I did. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not amazing. And again, mm. yeah, I'm not really going to remember it when I'm doing my top 10 of the year in December. <laughs> Minions of Isaac Bruce are going to be in the top 10 of the year? What? No, exactly. <laughs> no. But it's kind it's actually, it was kind of refreshing and nice for when, you know, I think because of Pixar and the success of Pixar, every animation studio feels like, their movies have to all be profound meditations mm. on life and death. And it was sort of nice that Rise of Gru was just a kid's movie for kids and it had fart jokes in it. Mm-hmm. And it was really colourful. And I will say, mm. it's interesting going from Lightyear to this, mm. where Lightyear put so much effort into looking like a live-action movie. And I thought that's so... To me, there's no purpose in that. Because why would you just watch a live action movie? I'll just watch a Marvel movie. Why would I want to watch Lightyear? When this, like, it, it's taking advantage of the medium of animation. And it's super bright. It's super colorful. It's wacky. It's, it reminded me of, like, r- Wacky Races. Mm. And those old sort of, those older cartoons. And, and the level of, like, uh, yeah, illogical mm. madness. <laughs> it's kind. It was kind of nice to just have a break from the every animated movie has to be trying to win an Oscar thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that I agree with. Uh, I totally agree with you on the animation. Really, really colorful. And this one really embraces the 70s setting. 
you got the afro <laughs> you got the soundtrack you got the black exploitation nods you got the martial arts blitz nods all of that was fun and i think the animation is probably the strongest point of the film let's talk about the performances a little bit um because <laughs> I will say my probably my my most favorite joke in the film is some of the character names that the villains get. Um, mm. uh, I think uh, Lucy Lawless plays a nun called Nunchuck. There's a nun, and that that's great. And John Claude Van Damme plays a villain called John Claude. All of that stuff is really really funny. I enjoyed that. Um, what did you make of the performances? Was there anyone who stuck out to you? Beyond, of course, the amazing Pierre Coffin, who voices all the minions and goes from French to Spanish to English all at once. It's, it's crazy. I love that the minions are like, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> like the French really pops out sometimes and I really appreciate that. We claim the minions. <laughs> Pour la France. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I think... It, they just put as many famous people as they could in the movie mm. <laughs> and like Michelle Yeoh was great uh I did I loved that Steve Carell didn't really try to sound like a child I found that really amusing that Gru just sounds like Gru yeah <laughs> even though he's meant to be 12 years old um yeah. and I like that I love Steve Carell I think he's an amazing voice actor mm-hmm. um so good for him <laughs> indeed Indeed. Okay, on that note, it's time for our screen, stream, or skip recommendation on Minions, The Rise of Gru. Chloe's. I mean, oh, I would say stream. If you have kids, though, go see it. Yeah, screen if you have kids. I think if you're like an adult and (laughs) you have no child to bring to the cinema, you can probably wait until it's on streaming because it's, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It's a stream for me. You know, I, as I say, didn't have an all the way bad time watching this film, but it is very forgettable in a pleasant way, if that makes any sort of sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just pleasant, nice. Pleasant, but forgettable. Yeah, we saw it on a Sunday morning. It was pleasant. <laughs> I went to get a bow. And it's great. <laughs> you did. You did. I had to go on home. But yes. Um, there is no segue that exists for our next movie, uh, which is Justin Cazell's Nitrum. Sometimes I watch myself. Hey, Dad. Hey, man. But I don't know who it is that I'm looking at. Do you walk dogs? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Maybe you could walk my babies for me. If I could just change it, but I don't know how. So instead, I'm stuck here, like this. I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. Uh, yes, so so this is Snitch Room. Uh, not going to do any funny introduction to this because it's very much not a funny movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, living a life of isolation and frustration, a young man develops an unexpected friendship with a reclusive heiress. When that relationship meets its tragic end, his loneliness and anger culminates into the most nihilistic and heinous of acts. The film tracks the events leading up to the 1996 Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania, Australia. It's directed by Justin Kuzzle and written by Sean Grant. It stars Caleb Landry-Jones, Judy Davis, Essie Davis, and Anthony LaPaglia. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's, this movie is really interesting in, I guess, the cultural atmosphere that's coming out at the moment. Uh, And I think, like, there is going to be a really natural inclination to want to link this movie to what's happening in the u.s Mm. uh but i would say like this is very much um an australian story and is talking about australian matters i mean i wondered him on like what your takeaway was from like yeah i guess like its connection to australia and what it's trying to say about like the country that it's set in as opposed to the uh, global implications of it i think it's a warning about how close australia may be i guess uh to repeating the mistakes of the past i did not expect uh the the, the final so i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that the film ends with a, a few sort of 
with some text that comes on screen. And I did not expect the final bit of text that comes on screen because it says that um, Australia now has more guns than it had in 1996, even though it implemented very strict gun laws in the wake of what happened uh, in 1996. Um, and there's a couple of scenes in this film that were just really harrowing in that regard. There's one scene in which uh, the gunman that Caleb Landy Jones plays very well, I'm sure we're going to get into it, um, but buys a, a whole load of weapons with ease, um, which is just crazy. And again, I, I don't know what the situation like is. I don't know what the situation is like in Australia now, um, because they do say they implement strict gun laws. I did, my mind definitely wandered to the US watching this movie because that is where gun crime has been just repeatedly happening uh, over the last few years. And every time it happens, it causes, rightfully so, like, you know, people to rush to social media, condemn it, thoughts and prayers, everything, but nothing changes. Even though Australia implemented implemented those gun changes and has had much less gun crime since then, um, as I say, that final bit of text coupled with what's happening in the U.S. coupled with what the film does, it did make me think of the state of the world, not just the state of Australia and what might happen in the future if we're not careful. Yeah, I think I, there's a line that really stuck out to me. It's actually from a news report that you see playing on the TV from the Dunblane massacre, which happened in Stirling, Scotland. And that was the event that in the UK kind of triggered all the, the changes in gun laws that mm -hmm. we have now. Uh, and it happened only a month before the Port Arthur massacre. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a policeman saying, uh, we don't understand it. And I guess we never will. And I feel like this movie, like in a really, um, thoughtful and I think quite pressing way sort of pushes back against that statement because you do hear it a lot and I understand the compulsion for people to say like this is an unfathomable evil it's unthinkable like I've no how could this happen it's so beyond comprehension mm -hmm. uh, but I've always felt like it's not beyond comprehension because as this movie shows us the same patterns happen over and over again and like as and gun control, you know, is is the most pressing part of it. That scene where he is able to go into the gun store and buy these weapons with so much ease. Like, mm -hmm. literally, the gun store order, order is like, it's too easy, it's too easy, as kind of a joke. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's, that's the biggest part of it. But then you see also the lack of support around this guy, that there were so many red flags, mm -hmm. and either people actively ignored it, or with his parents, they were so ill-equipped to do anything about it. There was nowhere to go. There was no one to, to say, we need an intervention. And I really appreciated that, like, Justin Kurzel went, okay, let's have, like, a real conversation about... And I understand that people get really hesitant about movies where the focus is on the criminal and the person doing the heinous act version like versus the victims and i really understand that impulse but i also really get justin kurzel's perspective of saying like we need to fucking talk about why this stuff happens mm -hmm. yeah like 100%. because it doesn't just like happen you know yeah yeah no you're you hit the nail right on the head it's a very um well done psychological study of this man and the systems and the structures that weren't in place to help prevent something like this happening and the way in which it very carefully analyzes that and the impact that it has on Nitram is just very, very well done because even though it's doing all of that in a really smart way, and you don't feel overly sympathetic to Nitram. I think that is where this film could have easily gone wrong, but it doesn't. Um, it always keeps him at a distance while still... Um, making it clear that he's not getting the support that he needs at certain times. Um, that that was the tricky balance to, to walk with this film. I think it walked very well. Yeah, and I guess we should note, um, so Nitram is a, like a fictional nickname 
that the film uses in order to not name the killer because I think that's very smart to not give that person any more publicity uh they are in jail at the moment so they're never going to find out about this movie um but I think yeah let's go to the performance Mm. I mean Caleb Landry Jones pretty amazing (laughs) performance (laughs) he is phenomenal uh in this film and, you know, it's interesting, a lot of the times when we talk about acting, uh, we're talking about performances, we're talking about how good they are at making us feel emotion and their facial expressions and all that sort of thing. And, you know, we do get a little bit of that in Kayla Landry Joe's performance, but I honestly think it might be harder for actors to play somebody who is emotionally detached and just a little bit off. And in this case, he's a, he's a lot of it. He's, he's, he's a lot off. But to play that in some ways is trickier than playing a character who has it all there. And Caleb Landry Jones just does an incredible performance in that regard. On, on the one level, I'm not surprised because he's, just, he's always been very good at giving me creepy vibes. I remember him in Get Out uh, <laughs> doing something similar in that regard. Although in that film, he has it a little bit more together than this guy. Um, but yeah, he's always been very good at giving me creepy vibes. And this is just, I think, the, the, the next level to that. Yeah, and I really appreciated that he, I felt like he approached the character as a whole, like a complete thing, mm-hmm. because, you know, the this person, it seems, had some sort of intellectual disability. It's the, I don't know, we don't need to pathologize it, but mm-hmm. it feels like he wasn't playing that and he wasn't playing um, separately, like the violence of the character as like trademarks mm-hmm. it didn't feel like he was like oh my character is this my, he, he played this as a, a complete human being yeah he's not a cartoon I, exactly and mm-hmm. and it i feel like often actors you know when they're playing something outside of themselves like they make such an effort to transform and to do this like massive like let, let me get all the physical ticks right and it mm-hmm. sometimes it comes out quite like pantomime and a bit weird and very unrealistic i feel like this was such a a nuanced approach to it which is so important to tell this story because we have to feel like this isn't a caricature of a killer that this is a this was this is a person Mm -hmm. (laughs) that did this um so i thought yeah i was so impressed by that and uh, i mean Oh, there's so many good performances in this. Is there anybody else in particular you want to shout out? <laughs> yeah, Anthony Anthony Lapaglia uh, as his father, really, really good. Um, very gentle performance in many ways. It's interesting the dynamic between the father, mother, and son here, because on the one hand you got a father who's being very gentle, he really doesn't want to impose his will um, or put his foot down with Nitram. And then on on the on the mother side, the mother barely hiding. Well, she's not really hiding at any point. Really, her contempt for her own son. Um, again, those that that the sort of opposites on either end to a, to a degree uh, for uh, the main character, the son uh, Nitram, uh, which I found very interesting. I also thought Essie Davis was really really uh, strong in this as well mm. um, as the woman, the very wealthy woman who uh, befriends Nitram. Um, yeah, you can tell that she is feeling lonely without her verbalizing it, uh, which is part of the reason why she befriends Nitram in the first place and what happens, happens. Um, but yeah, I thought there was really, really strong work there as well. Yeah, and I really liked how that character was dealt with because you get the sense that she's so wanting to see the good mm. in that person. Would you go, well... Oh, that's kind of commendable, but also the film is very realistic about the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the way that Essie Davis like just captured that sort of that little touch of naivety to her mm. was so well done. Uh, I mean, should we should we wrap it up? I think so. Yeah. So, uh, Nitram, screen, stream, or skip? <sighs> this is actually a tricky one. I'm going to say screen because I do think just on a craft level, on a performance level, this film earns uh, that recommendation. 
obviously it's with caveats because this is a very heavy film um on a very difficult topic um and i don't expect everyone to react the way we have reacted to it in terms of uh if this film needs to be out in the world or not um so it is with all those caveats but for my money i do think it's worth the screen recommendation yeah, I'd say screen and like I we should, we haven't pointed this out, but um the film does not show yes. the the act of violence itself. Mm-hmm. Um so I if you are concerned about it, I would say this is just my personal take. I think it's very careful about not trying to be triggering or too overwhelming, but it is obviously a very uh upsetting topic and mm-hmm. upsetting things do happen. So it it does depend, but I would say definitely screen if you're up for it mm-hmm. like this is a very like mixed week in terms of tone <laughs> and types of movie so i'm not gonna make any kind of joke but we are gonna cover the princess now sweet kind the princess has been the best thing to happen to the monarchy in centuries did you get a chance to see her yes chanted for her and he's taking second place a hollow and tormented marriage are giving the British media and its public little else to talk about. Just give me one minute. She's been pushed from the word go. It's the media that's causing the problems. Leave them alone. Do you not know the speech from the crowd where he's like, Camilla is who I want. That is where my loyalties lie. That is who my priority is. Not the mother of your children. Don't bring the boys into this. All right. Not the woman you married. I refuse to be blamed any longer for this grotesque misalliance. I wash my hands of it. It's from The Crown with Joshua Connor. I do not watch The Crown, but that was amazing. And now I want to watch The Crown. That was incredible. I mean, nowhere close to what Joshua Connor is doing. He is. Carice, you're wasted on the Fate of Black podcast. Need to be on the movie screen, on the TV screen doing your thing. I'm, so, I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. Uh, I will play Prince Charles. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> we are talking about The Princess, which tells the story of Princess Diana exclusively through contemporaneous archival footage, creating a bold and immersive narrative of her life and death. Turning the camera back on ourselves, the film also illuminates the profound impact she had and how the public's attitude to the monarchy was and still is shaped by these events. And this film was directed by Ed Perkins. So I started watching this movie last night, uh, but I was absolutely exhausted. So I did not finish watching the movie and I planned to watch it maybe this morning before we did the podcast, but then I forgot that Stranger Things uh, is now five hours an episode. And therefore, I ran out of time. So I will leave it to my esteemed colleague, Clarice, to tell me if this movie adds anything to the <laughs> many, <laughs> many movies and TV shows, etc., cetera, uh, that have talked about Princess Diana. Yes, I did. I took a bullet for the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, <laughs> no. Look, I will say so. I, the interesting angle about this is that it is entirely archival footage. Um, and I always think, you know, documentaries that are, are based around archive footage, there's always going to be like a level of interest to watching that because I hadn't seen quite a few of these clips because I, I don't. I don't really care about the royalty very much as much as I enjoy that speech from the crown. Um, So I hadn't seen a lot of it and, and there is an interest there. Um, I don't know. um, I don't know how rare this footage is. So I don't know if these clips are just things that if you are interested in the Royal family, you will have seen these interviews and bits of parades and whatever a million times before Mm. I hadn't, but Outside of that, you know, structurally, the way it's put together, the sort of narrative it pushes, it's nothing new. It's the same, like, oh, the People's Princess storyline, which I have always questioned because she it was literally the daughter of an earl. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> which I find interesting because Meghan Markle was, I mean, I think from, she's from a middle class-ish family. She's not from aristocracy. And, no. like, why is she's the people's princess right mm. she's the most like normal person in the royal family and yet no i wonder why people don't call her the prince people's princess sorry that's my rant could it be because <laughs> she's black <sighs> what <No. laughs> i mean it is i think it is interesting like the 
this documentary and and so much of the continuing media hype around Princess Diana, I mm. think, has taken a quite for me like a little bit of an uncomfortable edge with like Meghan Markle's introduction into the royal family because mm. you see in this documentary the rapturous, you know, obviously we know that things later did not go well um mm -hmm. but you see at the beginning the rapturous exceptions that she had mm -hmm. and Meghan markle did not receive so mm -mm. yeah at this point because we just keep getting so many princess diana stories we just had spencer with christian stewart we've got the crown we've got this movie is it time to just put the princess diana thing to bed or is there any way, is there any angle that would bring any sort of freshness to this thing? Because it just feels like we can't let go of her and we're just going to keep doing more and more and more stuff on her regardless right now. I mean, I think, like, I really enjoyed Spencer. And I think mm. Spencer, because it presented, it was a little more surreal. It was nightmarish. It, it sort of presented the life of Diana as a like psychological <laughs> chamber piece mm -hmm. like that was interesting and and I would never go like I don't want any more Princess Diana shit period because if the right story and the right angle comes along I think there's always new ways to look at her legacy and I will say that this documentary at the very minimum does have like there's lots of uh clips of interviews with the public so you get a sense of like her shifting uh acceptance throughout the years and you do hear quite a lot even at the beginning of people going why is why are we spending so much money on this wedding mm. you know when people uh you know she got married during a recession really made me think of the jubilee that happened recently um you know the idea of spending all these millions of pounds for what feels like a massive distraction mm. from the failings of the government <laughs> so i'm getting very ranty about <laughs> this documentary but right. it did kind of somebody's gonna make angry. up for the lack of hand flip because you know that she'll be <laughs> railing on this movie right now whether she'd seen it or not <laughs> yeah and this is the thing i think like uh, i i wish that yeah, I would wish it'd be great to have a documentary that was more critical about Diana's position and culture. Mm. And there's just like the smallest inklings of it here. And I get the difficulty is because Diana did seem like she was a pretty great person and, and she did do all these things that that other royalty did not dare do. Like you see the footage of her visiting the Harlem hospital uh, in New York and America and they go, God, no one, not even a president's come here and Princess Diana came here. Mm. Like you go, okay, well we can appreciate the good that she did, <laughs> but I would, I feel like everyone is so scared about damaging that that they don't want to have any real conversations about like, the cult of princess diana and what actually is the purpose of that mm. and i think this documentary wants to present itself as being very even you know even-handed and it does it is quite critical about the royal family and the way that they treated her and obviously her death and everything surrounding that the media it's like that's all great but <laughs> I think we're, we're dancing around the real question of why are we still talking about this woman mm-hmm mm -hmm. 100%. And if you want to justify it, if you want to make the argument of why Princess Diana is important, like, please do. But I feel like this documentary takes it as a given that we should just care about her because she married an old rich man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Indeed. Indeed. Believing that aside for a second, how how is the movie just on a pure sense of craft? Because this is a film that is put together purely through archival footage. There's no talking heads. Or anything like that on a craft level does it work is is it impressive yeah i mean i would say it's well made enough that it manages to construct a narrative even though there's no voiceover or anything explicitly linking things like mm -hmm. that does take quite a lot of skill to be able to track it's her entire life basically well mm -hmm. it's her from her meeting charles to her death mm -hmm. um and although it doesn't it manages to kind of sort of convey the information without having a voiceover explaining like they got married in this year and they did this and this and mm -hmm. she was here in this year you you get that from the little snippets of news reports 
um so that's clever and it was like it wasn't unenjoyable to watch and it wasn't uninteresting to watch but you do really reach the end and you go okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) yep (laughs) and we have reached the end of this review because it is time for our screen stream or skip recommendations on the princess chloe's i mean i would say skip if you're interested in diana stream it but i would not recommend screen on any level really Hmm. yeah yeah now i haven't finished it this is not inspiring me to do so Uh, (laughs) watch that scene of the crowd where george ricardo's yelling (laughs) (laughs) that however i will begin as soon as i can because how can you not after Kalisa's incredible performance Look, if you think I was good, you gotta watch Josh O'Connor do it. (laughs) I'm just gonna search that clip and see how well you match up. How well I did it. (laughs) Well, now it comes to the moment I've been waiting for this entire episode. (laughs) It's time for a Hard to hum the Stranger Things theme. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so Stranger Things season four, the final two episodes debuted on Netflix yesterday. Um, I tried to log into the watch party that they were doing and the entire website crashed. And then Netflix crashed because too many people were trying to watch Stranger Things (laughs) at the same time. So I think safe to say it's been a little bit of a cultural uh, phenomenon stranger things uh i mean uh, look who let's find out who's sending their therapy bill to the duffer brothers <laughs> <laughs> we should say straight out the top this is good there's gonna be spoilers yes so please if you have not watched all of stranger things season four up to episode nine this is your warning chrissy wake up <laughs> i don't like this Ah! <laughs> hello hello <laughs> go away <laughs> uh stranger things yeah. season four what did you think <laughs> i liked it um i thought that the this series in particular did a really good job of giving all the characters an arc and something to do even while everything was going on i thought that was really good and it really deepened your love for these characters. I also thought in this season in particular, some of the editing choices were just fabulous. Like some of the scene transitions in these last two episodes are just brilliant, brilliantly done. Love that. I love the score as well. Uh, there's a couple um, of tracks in the final episode. I think they do like a orchestral version of the Stranger Things theme that just really, really popped. I'm really looking forward to listening to that back. My one issue is a big issue, though, because I, you know, watched the first seven episodes however long, like last month, and I enjoyed that, too. But one of the first things I said was, I'm enjoying it, but they need to early season Game of Thrones this bitch, because all these characters who I have come to know and love, I kind of feel half bad for saying this. But it feels, when you have that many characters who have been in these many situations and everyone has come out unscathed all of the time, it does make you think about what the level of pebble is. And the thing about these last two episodes is that I was bracing myself, one, because of what Clarice was saying in the WhatsApp chat, and two, (laughs) because I kept hearing... From characters in the trailers for these last episodes, I'm not sure if we're going to make it out of here uh, this time, etc. So I was bracing myself. They're going to make some really brave choices. They're going to bump off somebody who has spent longer than a season with that's really going to be impactful, that's going to send the entire fandom into hysterics, etc. And I like Eddie Munts. I thought he was a really good character. I love his arc. I know. I mean, he started off, you know, one way, ended another way. He comes to really no, I love him. His shredding on the guitar to distract uh, the 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 Vecna dude and the bats. All of that stuff was great, and I love the relationship that he has with 
Dustin. Um, and that paid off really well. But the reality is, that was the easiest hard choice to make in terms of which character you're going to bump off. And Max was the next easiest hard choice to make because not only has she again not been, you know, fully around since the beginning, I don't think, but she had written letters in the first half of the season that you know, only open in the case of my death. So I was prepared for that. I'm like, you don't write that and not open that at some point. So she's probably going to die. And they couldn't even follow through with that, even though she died unleashing, you know, everything that's been unleashed. And then they're going to walk it back. Actually, like, no, you're not dead. Eleven's going to do some magic stuff that we've never seen her do. She's just going to have a new power to now, you know, bring people back to life after they've died. Come on. Have some balls. Actually go through with it. Have Max die. And I say this as somebody who really likes Max, who who likes uh, her relationship with Lucas and how that has grown and their arc has been really, really strong this season. I like all of that. But you need stakes. And I feel like, especially with these last episodes, Stranger Things whiffed on that. So I would like, for the final season, I think the first episode of the final season should start with, should, should have a major death. And I think the penultimate episode of the final season should have a major death to really underline that shit is now real. The upside down is coming into the real world. We're seeing it. Have that be underlined by people that we come to know and love. Major characters, not any side characters that we've only known for a little while. Major characters at least, you know, be mortally wounded in some shape of me. And I, like, again, I feel confident saying this because I like these guys. I really do. But you need stakes. And if you're just going to have rinse and repeat, big monster, 11 saves today, everyone contributes, and then rinse and repeat, and, and then and then he's an even bigger monster at the end of the season. Mm. They've done that four times now. And I'm just like, I, I still get all the emotions. I love these characters. Like, you know, when they were doing the reunions in the final part of this uh, episode, at the finals, I was like, yeah, like, I, I felt all the feels, but I need stakes for it, for that to really push towards another level. And that, for me, is where these last two episodes in particular whiffed. And I'll stop talking now. No, I fully agree. Like, I, I'll i say the positive first that mm. I was thinking last night. Like, it's so cool that we have something like Stranger Things, which is a completely original show it's not based off anything i mean obviously it's inspired by lots of things mm. but it's an original idea and an original story that has made such a huge cultural impact mm-hmm. like that's so cool to see and it's so rare these days mm-hmm. to have something that's not a sequel or a remake or a reboot or blah yep. blah blah mm-hmm. and i really applaud the duffer brothers for creating something that like i i watched the two last episode with a friend and we were like screaming and shouting <laughs> and i like, get really into it and i think the show's been very well crafted to do that because yeah as you said they have really well written lovable characters and there's like a real sense of like adventure to it mm-hmm. and it's fun and it's cheesy it's a really cheesy show mm-hmm. but it's fun and i like watching it um but yeah you're so right that i think I, I don't know if I could go all the way to say like this show is amazing and it's so well written because they often do take I think they take easy way out of things and a part of that was you know doing two episodes of everyone doing their goodbye speech Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. like episode eight was 90% monologues of people mm. going wow god if I, I don't know if we're gonna make it and I want to say before you know mm-hmm. And I feel like I really wish that they'd had the ball as much as I look. It would have killed me. I would have died too. (laughs) But Steve Harrington, that would have been the death to go for. Mm -hmm. Which, And I feel like they were so close to doing it because the character of Eddie would have been the great replacement, like mom, to the kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like they really, they like, they really chickened out of it they should have killed Steve and it was such a as you said it's such an easy thing to do and it kind of sucks because I feel like they 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 kind of shortchanged that character's narrative because now Eddie's died and everyone thinks he's a murderer Mm. 
it's so depressing. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. such a fucked up and sad death, but mm-hmm. like we're meant to not care about it as much because that character was new and it's like it's not. It made me really sad that mm-hmm. he died. Yeah. And I feel like they're going to get to season 5 and everyone's just going to forget about him. <laughs> and it's really fucked up. And I feel like somebody should clear his name, but I don't think they're going to do that. Mm. Um yeah, at least Dustin has told his uncle the truth, so there's a measure of peace for that man who's putting up all the signs. Um, so fucked up though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nah, it is messed up. I hope that you know. It's interesting. I wonder if this world is ready for the real truth, especially now, given that the upside down is invading uh, Hawkins and soon, you know, spreading throughout the world. Somebody hopefully is going to require the actual explanation because clearly it's not an earthquake. Spoiler alert, Hawkins, it's not an earthquake that's done nothing with all this. Um, yes. And, you know, there are people in that world who, of course, know the truth. So hopefully the citizens are ready to listen and accept and then get ready for what is to come because, you know, Wagner is still out there. He's coming back. Yeah, I mean, I would like them to do something different with max like i'd like them to do like like an evil max you know like she becomes the new body of vecna or something something just something a bit different than like would 11 goes ah and she (laughs) screams and she puts her hand out and then the thing explodes like (laughs) i feel like you are so right that that as much as the individual seasons are really enjoyable, it has been the same storyline over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't, I mean, let's talk about the run times because I, yes. I didn't feel bored watching it and I didn't feel exhausted and I didn't tap out or skip over anything, but I don't think, and that's the thing in theory, I'm not against super long run times because you know, if the story justifies it, great, but I don't know if the story justified it being that, long the russia stuff was boring cut that <laughs> oh, <Russia> stuff. <laughs> oh i'm sick of the russia stuff i hope they never go back to russia <laughs> i hated it in season three as well boring boring mm. blah even though that n- nice man from game of thrones is there <laughs> i like him but yeah. still yeah yeah no i like the flamethrower moment um i like the pilot finding the courage to uh play the hero i thought that was a nice moment and I like the whole slow-mo sequence that gets Vecner and the Russian element to that uh, with mm. Hopper with a sword cutting the head off. Um, yeah. I was like, <laughs> it's funny because they were doing that at the same time as they were doing that Hopper slow-mo sequence at the same time as Nancy was uh, shooting Vecna in the Upside Down. And I was like, in my head, go for the head! <laughs> uh, so I like that Hopper, you know, he took the arm first and then he went for the head, core shot. And then I think Nancy still shot Vecna in the chest and then he fell back and escaped because she didn't go for the head. You see what happens when you don't mm. go for the head, Nancy? The thing I survives. Like, I feel like Robin smacked him on the head with that Molotov cocktail, didn't she? No, that was in the upper chest area. Uh, <laughs> if memory serves. It was, it was, it was a good moment. We still appreciate though. Robin, though. Robin yeah, can no, do no I was, wrong. I'm surprised <laughs> that it's taking us this long, this long to get to Robin because Robin was the character in the WhatsApp chain where it's like, if, if they kill Robin, that's going to be hell to pay because I, I love Robin. Uh, I so- would have been willing to sacrifice everybody to save Robin. <laughs> wow. Steve, Eddie, Nancy, Jeez. Dustin. I'm just taking notes. If there's ever an apocalyptic situation in this universe, I'm not sure if you're the person I should be sticking by. If if that is, (laughs) if you're if you're saying you're willing to sacrifice everyone, the world is on fire, Clarice. Yeah, and Maya Hawke's there. Yes, I'm killing everybody (laughs) to save her. I don't think that needs much explanation. Oh my gosh! Okay, okay. No, I, I, I had you on my list, but now I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, like, if my hawk's not there, I'll do everything in my power to save everybody. Well, thank you. But so much. if there's a situation in which people, if 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 everyone's on a there's two train lines and everybody's on one and Maya Hawk's on the other I'm I'm pulling the thing wow. and, I'm, and the train is hitting everybody and Maya Hawk's living wow 
Okay. Well, there you have it, people. Make sure you're not on the other train car because Clarice is is is, is letting you go. Um, can we talk Let's about? Let's not pretend like everyone else would do the same. <laughs> She's magical. She is very good in this role. I do enjoy her levity a lot. I'm glad that she may or may not have found love. At least a nice little friendship with, with Vicky and uh, making PB. Oh, it's not a friendship. No. <laughs> They are lesbians together, and I'm so happy for them. Yeah, no, it was a nice moment. Steve was also happy for her, which yes! is nice. Which is oh, nice. That was one of my favorite bits. Can we talk about the one Stranger Things phrase from the season that I am adding to my regular vernacular immediately? It is this from this this gem from another new character called Argyle, and it is this: <laughs> try before you deny. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I am adding that to my regular vocab. Expect to hear it coming from my mouth at many points on this podcast and in real life because it is fantastic. I love Argyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he made it. I'm glad he made it through. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that he gave Jonathan a personality because Jonathan didn't really do anything for three seasons. <laughs> but now Seems he's true. cool. He's a stoner. I like him. <laughs> I did like Jonathan's little moment with his bro, though, um, <sighs> because that yeah. was we haven't really seen much of that since season one. So it was nice that the show recognized that and gave us that moment. I thought that was really well earned. Yeah, and I will say, I think uh, it's like with with Will coming out, like if they do it in season five and he really gets his moment, mm. then that's great, and I think the build up to it will be justified. But you might, you know, my general distrust of mm-hmm. <laughs> mainstream media. If they chicken out and if they don't really give him his moment, yeah. that's gonna be some bullshit. But I thought the the see yeah the scene that scene with his brother and also the scene with Mike in the car and the the painting mm. individually were really beautiful. If they are leading to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's not just like the end of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. I think we should talk about the whole Eleven Papa relationship because that was a big part of this season. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a character that we have come to to, to love uh, in terms of, you know, really sort of adore who this guy is. But that, it, that was a big death. Um, Papa dying, I think, in episode eight. Um uh, gunned down by the government who are nosing around the facility where Eleven uh, was regaining her powers. Um, and yeah, I, I really liked that the show, because you know, p- part of Eleven's season four arc is like wondering, you know, am, am I the monster? She had sort of amnesia uh, and that was all bundled up within that. And it was about her figuring out that no, the people who were holding her in that facility were the monster and Papa was the biggest monster. And that line and that moment really landed. And I liked the fact that when he was, I guess, asking for understanding as he was dying, Eleven didn't give him that satisfaction. I thought that was really well played. Yeah, I thought that was so powerful. Like, if you, you know, because that, you strip away all the science and the fantasy part of it. It's an abusive dad. Mm -hmm. And, I think having a character go, you know what? No, I don't need to. I don't need to forgive you if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't automatically deserve forgiveness, even if they're literally on their deathbed. Like, I thought, because I remember what I we were watching that scene, and I was so nervous. I was like, Eleven, mm-hmm. shut your mouth! Don't mm-hmm. say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she didn't. And it, I like that was one of the big like punch the air moments because mm-hmm. yeah. that was emotionally such a big moment for her. And I loved it. I loved how that was written. I thought it was great. Yeah. What do you make of the Vecna of it all? Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, and this is almost a given at this point, but the special effects are incredible. Um, I've I've heard that, you know, she spends a lot of hours getting laddered in prosthetics or whatever, and, you know, it comes through the screen very, very well. He's still still able to emote well enough um, that that his performance still comes through all of it. Um, but it's really, really well done. The, the 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 blend of CGI and prosthetics is really, really well done. I did feel like some of the dialogue was very cliche and very cheesy. And I know this is a cheesy show, but they really went overboard with that on Beckner in these last two episodes. 
especially given what we now know of him, I was advised that they pulled back on that slightly. What was your take on that? Yeah, it's... I like Fechner, and I yeah, I love the design. He looks great. Mm-hmm. But it's he's going back to that thing that with every season having a new villain, mm-hmm. you know, Demogorgon, Demodogs, Mind Flayer, mm-hmm. and for them to go now, oh, it was all Vecna. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was still different things that we had to look at every season, so I don't know. And, like, I'm kind of curious now, what is season five going to be is it gonna be more of Vecna or is it now gonna be like oh now Vecna is this thing because we have to have a new thing for them to fight it's yeah no I think it'll still be very much Vecna but I would not be surprised if he's made a whole new monster that is bigger and badder and you know more menacing than anything that's come before because it's season five the final season yeah. so they gotta up the stakes I feel like that is where they're probably headed with this See, and that's just a bit like that has been my big frustration with Stranger Things is that it's just, yeah, it's just repeating the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are we really going to do season five? We have to do the whole thing again. They're going to introduce a new fan favorite character to kill at the end. <laughs> and the, uh, the final episode is again going to be Eleven holding her hand out, going, ah! <laughs> like, well, first of all, we're going to spend at least five episodes with uh, Eleven getting more powerful because she's mad that, she, that Vecna beat her. And now she you know, knows that Papa was telling the truth in that regard. And he's probably going to go back yeah. to the other doctor to figure out what was going to happen if she stayed so that she can get all the, you know, the serums or whatever to become more powerful. That's to fly, right? To she fly. needs to learn how to fly, yeah. which uh, really it's not going to make that much difference. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. Clarice is not excited about the possibility of Stranger Things. Zoomies! <laughs> Zoomies. Like she is. I was multiple times while watching that those last time so it was like oh she's she's wandering right now she's just they're just turning her into scarlet witch yeah. <laughs> which like cool whatever but like i'm not i'm not that interested in that i liked when she just wanted egos <laughs> that was nice i'm sure <laughs> that egos at, at some point it's either going to be a reference or they're going to actually have egos in one of the final episodes of oh the next God. season. That's sure. how you defeat Vecna. <laughs> <Shoot Eggers laughs> <at him. laughs> I mean, they really brought back, I like the sort of moment where she found the Coke bottle underneath the bed, which of course has major significance for the character and for the show. So yeah, so yeah they're, they're already putting the final pieces in place, going back to that first house, having that be a base uh, to set up for all the stuff that's about to go down in the final season, um, which I'm you know excited for. Despite you know all the issues that we've talked about, these are characters that I've come to really, really enjoy seeing on screen. I love their chemistry together. I love how the cast have matured over this time and become better actors. I think all the child performances again are really, really good. Even um, Will. Will is really, really good. Um, that scene he has in the car where. He's talking about Mike's love for Eleven and how important that is, where really he's talking about his love for Mike. That was really well done. It was Mike who I thought was the one who was a little bit of a weak link until later on in the season where I think he sort of gets a lot more emotive stuff to do. Um, But yeah, all all of that is really good. So I'm really excited to see how they bring it on home in the end game. Um, Yeah, as much as I like these guys, though, stakes, sacrifices, deaths, these are all things that should be happening and should be happening long before the final episode, in my opinion. Mm. But fingers crossed, we you shall get see. Duffer Brothers, you get no forgiveness for killing Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I will come and I will fucking find you. <laughs> R.I.P. Eddie Mance. You are fucked fun. up, man! <laughs> <laughs> Stop. And the speech they gave him where he's yeah. like, I really think this is going to be my year. Don't. Because yeah. that's how I think I'm going to die, is that I'm going to be like, this is my year, and then I'm immediately going to get like eaten by a, a demonic <laughs> hellbat. <laughs> like, <laughs> I related to that too much, and I didn't like it, and I didn't want to see it, and I wish I could unsee it, and it's haunting me, and um, <sighs> yeah. 
yeah, you need you need to watch a Disney movie to take your minds off these things. <sighs> Joseph Quinn, MVP. <laughs> thank you for your service, sir. <laughs> Well, thank you for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. Tell us your favorite Stranger Things character. <laughs> and tweet us at FateToBlackPod if you have something you'd love for us to shout out next week. You can follow me on Twitter at Clarice Lou or on Instagram at Clarice Lockery. Please send me your Eddie Munson content. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And you can follow me at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. First live pod, tickets available. Book them. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it like a dance for you. That'd be great. <laughs> Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> Wee! <laughs>